So once again, it's been an incredibly busy sporting afternoon. I can tell you that in football news, the PSL have confirmed that a deal to buy Free State Stars by a consortium led by Panyazala Sufi has failed. The deal fell through due to the consortium failing to meet some of the conditions of sale that were set by the National Soccer League. So that one not going to be happening. In Olympic news, the IOC announced that 45 more athletes from the 2008 and 2012 Olympic Games have tested positive for banned substances following reanalysis. Looking at uh, some cycling news, it was a fabulous day at the Tour de France today. Exciting mountain top finish and uh, lots of drama. Most of the top contenders, believe it or not, coming off their bicycles, including Christopher Froome. He ended up finishing the stage on one of his teammates' bikes. He lost a bit of ground uh, atop the general classification, but still has a 4-minute 11 lead. Someone else who lost lots of time was Balka Molimo, who was second coming into the stage. He crashed out and lost a ton of time. He's currently sitting 10th, uh, 7 minutes 42 seconds behind, sitting 2nd on the GC at the moment Romain uh, Bardet who won today's stage Nairo Quintana has moved up into third good news for Louis Mankis he's climbed another spot thanks to Balcomolima dropping down he's currently sitting in eighth He's seven minutes, two seconds behind, two and a half minutes behind Adam Yates, who he made some time up on in the white jersey today as well. So that's good news as far as South African cycling goes. There is some live cricket taking place today as well in Antigua, India, batting first 404 for four in their first innings uh, at lunch on day two of the first test against the West Indies in England at Old Trafford. Uh, the host 274 for three on day one against Pakistan that after England won the toss and chose to bat. And finally, in Formula One news, Nico Rosberg topped the Hungarian Grand Prix second practice session ahead of Daniel Ricciardo and Sebastian Vettel. We'll have more on that on this evening's show as well with Natalie Clue. But first, uh, let's chat some rugby with Craig Ray next. SAFM Sports Wrap. Well, we are at uh, the sort of final stages of the 2016 Super Rugby season. Into the playoffs we go. And there's some uh, fascinating rugby in store this weekend. But one of those matches uh, has concluded already. And uh, it went down to the wire. Craig Ray joins us now. Craig, the Highlanders up against the Brumbies. the Brumbies simply their own worst enemies. Gee, they they came close to winning it in the end with a with a uh, with a try that wasn't awarded that was referred, but they 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 missed lots of opportunities that they just threw away. They did, and uh, you got to compliment the Highlanders on their their defence as well. But in the first half, I think the Highlanders had a few chances as well. There was a strong wind and it was wet, and so the Highlanders had the wind in the first half. The Brumbies were yeah, the wind in the second half. So it was a game of two halves, literally, because the team with the wind really did dominate each half. But uh, the Islanders scored those tries when it mattered, and, and, and the Brumbies were really pretty poor in their execution towards the end. And there was some great defense as well. Those last three minutes, the defense was superb. And, and as you say, the try that might or might not have been scored, there was no clear evidence of grounding, and I think the match officials got that right. Stephen Larkin was fuming afterwards, saying it was a try, and, it might well have been a try. It might well have been a legitimate uh, dot down, but you cannot see the ball being dotted down. So it's impossible for the TMO to give the try. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more, and uh, I'm sure he'll calm down with time. And uh, it w- I mean, if it was given, it would have uh, the Highlanders would have been furious. But uh, I agree with you. I think the right decision was made. Let's look ahead to tomorrow because uh, three matches, all including South African teams, all including New Zealand teams. Uh, it's going to be an epic day of rugby. First up, the Sharks away at the Westpac Stadium against the Hurricanes. Uh, how do you see that one going? Well, you can only see it going one way, can't you? But <laughs> I don't I mean, want to say it. You say that, but there's an interesting little bit of statistics here, and, 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 and I know stats often not, don't always give a true reflection of the game. But the Hurricanes are a team that really enjoys teams that run at them because when they tackle them, they, they win turnovers, and then they're lethal from striking from turnovers. They're not quite so lethal against teams that kick more than they do. And that's evidenced in the fact that they've lost four games this year and three of those four losses have been against teams that have uh, run fewer meters at them and kicked more than them. And one of those was the Sharks. And the Sharks are not going to run everything at the Hurricanes. You can be sure of that. They're going to play field position and kick deep. And, yeah, they're going to make the Hurricanes run at them into their very strong defense. They had twice as many turnovers in Durban when they won 32-15 in May. So the Sharks have got a game plan that upsets the Hurricanes a little bit. It just throws them off. But it's a bit different to Durban. It's also uh, one thing in theory. It's another thing in practice to kick accurately, to make sure your field position play, your chase lines are good. And this is probably holds true for all the other games as well. So it really is quite a, a difficult task for the Sharks. And also they've got to overcome the mere fact that they only arrived in the early hours of Thursday morning in Wellington. So they've got to... Uh, overcome the effects of their travel. And I think the last 20 minutes might be where the game is lost for the Sharks because they, they'll probably go in there, hang on, have good tactics, do everything they can do. But ultimately, I think that fatigue factor might play a role in those final 20. The action then moves uh, to Johannesburg, to Emirates Airline Park, where the Lions uh, host the Crusaders. Uh, the Saders are, are a phenomenal outfit. They, they, I mean, they, they are class if you look at the decision last week to to rest a, a lot of uh, the squad, Johan Ackermann sticking by that decision. Do you think it could come back to bite them tomorrow? No, I think it's actually turned out to be a brilliant decision because he's had his first team training in, in Joburg while the second team went off to Argentina. Can you imagine the fatigue factor of those Lions first team players if they'd been over to Argentina, won or lost, didn't really matter, come back, fatigued. A lot of them got sick. There was a bit of food poisoning or something going on. There was vomiting going on for 11 of the players that came back. So in the end, it looks like a great decision because his <laughs> top players are fit and healthy. So I, I, think it, it, I don't think it will backfire on them at all. Uh, let's look at the last game of uh, the weekend. The Storm is up against the Chiefs at, at Newlands. Uh, how do you see that one progressing? There's been lots of rain around in Cape Town this week. It might be a bit greasy underfoot. Uh, who's that going to favour? Yeah, and it's just had a downpour as we speak in Cape Town right now. So it's, it's probably not going to be raining during the game tomorrow, but it will be wet in the morning and uh, beforehand, so it will be greasy underfoot. I, you know, I don't know if that really favours anyone. New Zealand sides are used to playing in the rain. They play a lot of rugby in rain, so I don't think that's going to scare them too much. The, forward, the forwards always come into it a little bit more when, when you have a lot of rain, and the Stormers have a great pack, don't they? Um, the Chiefs pack is really a bunch of uh, unknown names other than Brady Vitalik and Dominic Bird and the rest are pretty unknown to us, but they're very effective. So I don't think there's a lot to choose between the two packs, to be quite honest. And it really is going to be another game that comes down, I think, in particular because of the conditions and also because of the way the Chiefs the Chiefs play. It's going to come down to tactical kicking. The Stormers have got to 
produce a game plan like they did against the Brumbies earlier in the year where they beat the Brumbies comfortably with lots of little kicks in behind, mixing the kicking variation up. It was high kicks, it was grubber kicks, it was cross-field kicks. And they've got to keep the, the, the Chiefs pinned back. The only danger with that, of course, is they've got to be extremely accurate because wayward kicks and giving Damian McKenzie too much space to move into is, uh, as we've seen throughout the season, is, is a dangerous one. But I've got a sneaky feeling on this one. I think the Stormers, as inexperienced as they are, have got a good chance. The only, I suppose, Achilles heel is their fly-off situation. Rob Dupree is back for the first time since week two of the competition after a knee injury. He hasn't had any time to develop and grow in this year's competition. And I think it's a bit of a gamble by Robbie Fleck to pick him as the starting fly-off over Brandon Thompson, who was with the squad for the past 11 weeks. Um, so that's a big gamble. And I think Dupree is a talented youngster and he's got good attitude. He's quite confident and self-assured. But we saw in last year's Curry Cup final, he, he was exposed a little bit. His, his uh, big game temperament let him down a little bit last year. But there was also a learning curve for him. So if he's learned from that, great. Um, good chance. But we've got to see if his temperament can hold up. Because we know on the other side of the field that Aaron Pruden's temperament will hold out. And he will tactically... Uh, produce a good game in the conditions. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. Craig, and I, I hate to say it, uh, we've got one Kiwi side through to the semis already. They have been the, the sort of dominant nation in this year's uh, Super Rugby competition. There's chance that we could have an all-Kiwi semi-final lineup after this weekend. There's a chance, but I actually think uh, the Lions actually start as favourites against the Crusaders. So I think that would be a little bit of a surprise if the Crusaders won that one. They, they have been the fourth best of the four New Zealand teams that are in the playoffs. And I think the Lions have been clearly the best South African side. And at Ellis Park, with a fresh squad, I, I think the Lions will, will win that one. So I think they will be the banker, if you like, to stop the Kiwi dominance. Any other South African victories will be a huge bonus this weekend. It's, yeah, and, and I think the Stormers have a chance. But even so, I think their season's been a very good one, considering the young, how young their squad is. And if they make the semi-finals, that would be an exceptional achievement. The Aussies must be disappointed uh, with with their charge. Uh, it's done, and uh, all interest waning now for the last couple of weeks. I'm sure in Australia. Yeah, I think so. It's been a horrible year for Australian rugby, hasn't it? You know, they made the World Cup final last year, and everyone said Australia rugby's back. And uh, then they lost three 0 to England in June, and the Super Rugby sides have been dashed from pillar to post. So, um, yeah, Australian rugby is in a bit of a crisis situation. You would have to think and. Uh, yeah, even the Bumbies making the playoffs a bit un- were a bit fortunate to have a home playoff. But that was just due to the vagaries of the system. And while they came close today, you got to think that the conditions today were a real leveller and they took a lot of the Highlanders' weapons away from them. So uh, I think Australian rugby is going to do some navel-gazing in the off-season because the Rebels, the Force, they're not very good and the Reds have been terrible this year as well. I and mean, those three sides are... As bad as any of the worst teams in the South African conference at the moment. So, you know, they've got some real problems in Australia. Absolutely. Craig Gray, thank you very much for that. Much appreciated. Enjoy the rugby this weekend, and uh, we look forward to catching up soon. We will do. Thanks, Brad. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been wanting it, you've been waiting for it, and now it's almost here. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. This Friday, SABC Sport is bringing you the fight night on the TKO in the third annual celebration of the world icon Nelson Mandela as a boxer as well as Matibaman. Be sure.
sure to tune in to SABC2 at 9.30 for all the big hits, the hard blows, and the total knockouts in the IBF Junior Phantom vacant intercontinental title between Mzanti's Makabola Professor Tete, former South African champion, international and intercontinental champion, and Raymond Tagubon, former IBO Flyweight intercontinental champion from Philippines, exclusively brought to you by SABC Sport. SABC Sport, for the love of the game. SAFM Sports Wrap. This is South Africa's news and information leader, and things are looking very, very interesting in the Formula One standings uh, right now. And it is uh, a Formula One weekend this weekend. The action uh, comes to us uh, from Hungary uh, this weekend, and we joined by our Formula One correspondent Natalie Leclou. Natalie, welcome onto the show once again. Uh, it's going to be a, a good weekend, particularly after the last result, and, and things are really tight in the championship now. It's looking looking fantastic. Yeah, good evening, Brad. Of course, after the Silverstone Grand Prix two weeks ago, Lewis Hamilton only trailed by one point uh, from teammate Nika Rosberg in the championship. So it couldn't get, I suppose it could get tighter. They could be even on points. But as far as Formula One goes, yeah, at least for the two Mercedes, is definitely a big battle on the horizon for those two. Let's talk about what happened uh, today, first and second free practice. How, how did things go? Well, um, I don't know. Maybe you'll be shocked to hear that Mercedes led the way. (laughs) (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. I knew I was going to shock you somehow. Uh, Mercedes definitely hit the ground running uh, around the Hungaro ring. And it came as a bit of a surprise, to be honest, because this is a circuit that should suit the Red Bull and the Ferrari car. So we expected them, we didn't expect them to be quicker than Mercedes, but we definitely expected them to be a little bit closer. Now, yeah, it is still early days. It's only Friday. It's still an entire weekend ahead of us. But it was a bit surprising to see the amount of caps that Mercedes has. So we're talking about more than a second. So that's pretty ominous at this early stage of the weekend. Lewis Hamilton also had a bit of an off in the second free practice session, missed out on most of the running, but no significant damage to his car, we can tell people. So no gearbox change for him and no penalty forthcoming. So that's good news. Yeah, absolutely. L- looking ahead to tomorrow, third free practice and then and then qualifying, it's it's vital. I mean, this this is one of the iconic sort of uh, tracks on the, the, the circuit, on the Formula One circuit. How, how important is being in pole in this one? I mean, is it as vital as possibly a, a circuit like Monaco or, or is, there, is there room for overtaking in Hungary? There is some room for overtaking. I mean, the Formula One paddock has been coming to the Hungara ring for 30 years. And in those 30 years, the race has only been won 13 times from pole position. So there is a chance, uh, if you're not starting on pole position, of winning this Grand Prix. But it's going to have to depend on a lot of things. Um, I think the teams, especially, of course, we know that the closest to Mercedes, Red Bull and Ferrari, they're going to have to be a little bit creative when it comes to their tyre strategy, especially in qualifying. Look, they're obviously going to be crunching some some important numbers overnight, trying to find a little bit of pace. We expect Ferrari to be a little bit closer tomorrow when they put in their fresh, fresher engines. But if they can get a little bit more pace, not even to match Mercedes, if they can get a bit of a more of a comfort zone to those behind them, they could potentially try to get through to the final part of qualifying on the softer side, which is going to be more durable, thereby giving themselves an opportunity for the race to go a bit longer in the first end and in that way sort of um, outsmart or outwit Mercedes as far as strategy is concerned. Because as it stands right now, Mercedes pretty much with all, all the eggs in their baskets. And I know we shouldn't count them, 
but it looks, it's looking pretty good for them. Times-wise, what are we looking at for, for first or for third free practice and then qualifying on, on tomorrow afternoon and then race on, on Sunday? Tomorrow morning, 11 a.m. is going to be the third and final free practice session. Then at 2 p.m., that's going to be qualifying. And then also, of course, on Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m., the big one is also going to be taking place, of course. We've seen lots uh, <laughs> between the two Mercedes drivers over the last while. One point separating them. Could we see fireworks? And uh, I don't want to say team orders on Sunday, but uh, <laughs> we, we could be in for, for, for an epic, epic battle. Look, it seems likely at this point that they're going to lock out the front row of the grid. We know, of course, this morning it was announced that Nico Rosberg has extended his contract with Mercedes by another two years until the end of 2018. So these two have a pretty long way to go as teammates. So whatever happens from here on out, uh, we can be sure this uh, is going to be... What we saw in Austria is not going to be the end of it. I'm thinking uh, there's going to be a lot more drama between these two. And now we're not hoping for crashes or collisions between the two of them, but we're hoping for something dramatic at least uh, come Sunday. It's going to be fantastic. I can't wait. Uh, Natalie LeCru, thank you so much for that. Much appreciated. Uh, You'll be keeping us updated on SAFM Sports Special throughout the weekend with John Carricker. Thank you for your time and uh, enjoy the racing this weekend. Always do. Thank you. SAFM Sports Wrap. Well, we head now to France, not to talk uh, Tour de France, but to talk some triathlon and Olympics. Uh, one of the athletes who will be representing Team South Africa at the Rio 2016 Olympic Games is uh, Marie Rabi, who's uh, in a bit of a high-altitude training camp at the moment ahead uh, of uh, this year's Olympic Games, and she joins us now. Marie, welcome on to SFN Sports Wrap. Thanks for, for joining us. Uh, not long to go now till the Games. Uh, how are you feeling ahead of them? You must be pretty excited. Yeah, it's um, towards the end of the game, the 20th, so the second last day, so it's just under a month to go. Um, yeah, pretty excited. Training's going well. Um, I Just last weekend, I had my best results ever in a World Series, so yeah, everything seems to be on track. Um, and I yeah, just have to keep it together and stay safe for the next month. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned last weekend, Hamburg, WTS, uh, your best performance. And you talk about that confidence going into into an Olympic Games. You, you've, that confidence comes with a lot of hard work. You've, you've put in hours and hours, and it's, it's not just a couple of months. This has been years to get to where you are now. You must be pretty proud of what you've achieved. Yeah, I think um, people always ask how long or how long does it take to prepare for a Games. And like you said, it's your whole life. I mean, I've been swimming from the age of six, um, running at school, you know, cycling and just carried on. On, um, all the way and I'm 30 this year so that's probably like 20, 24 years of training um, yeah and massive confidence like uh, Hamburg was a perfect race uh, we were a small group away out of the swim and on the bike and hopefully that is something that will happen to Rio or in Rio too that we can have 10 to 12 girls out to swim in the front and then um, create a gap on the bike and go into the run with a bit of a buffer Marie, talk about some of the changes you've made this year because your results, and, and you say you're 30, and, and I hate to say it, but you you, you sort of on the, the, the over-the-hill range when it comes to elite sport now almost. It's, but but you, you've made some significant changes to, to what you've done training-wise this year, and they seem to be paying off. You, you've almost just really clicked, kicked up again and, and just kicked on. It's, it's been pretty impressive. What, what have you been doing? Yeah, so I last year in uh, November I joined um, a new coach who's quite famous in triathlon circles, Darren Smith, um, and he coached Lisa Norden, who just lost the gold in London by 0.02 of a second. 
So Australian coach, um, um, international squad. Um, so we're based in Stellenbosch in South Africa, which is great for me because it's home time um, over summer and then a stint in Australia and now in France. And he's just very much attention to detail, technique. Um, you're not allowed to do anything hard if you're not doing it properly. Um, and sometimes it gets a bit much. Like he, he's got quite high standards and he expects a lot. Um, and it's not always pleasant, but he's definitely, I mean, I started the first race in the World Series this year, ranked um, number 64 out of 65 girls in the race. And my lowest ranking this year was, um, eight or nine from the World Series. So he's definitely improved me a whole lot because you kind of get a bit stale and he's just, it's a whole different approach. Um, and it's exciting to see, you know, still being able to improve at a late age of 29, which, by the way, <laughs> the gold medalist was 30 at the time. So maybe that's the gold. I'm, I'm only, I'm only joking. I mean, look at somebody like uh, Javier Gomez, who unfortunately won't be racing. I mean, he's, he's phenomenal. He's well into his 30s. But you talk about the coach. There's a bit of a South African connection there too. He's the same guy that coached Katie Roberts for, for, for a long, long time as well. Katie not racing at the Olympics this year, but she is going across as part of Team South Africa in the management side of things. Uh, did she have any, any sort of influence over you going there? I mean, did you chat to her before, before making the switch? Yeah. So Katie and I, um, we both had the same coach leading up. Um, to Beijing Gate, and then afterwards I went off to study abroad, and Katie joined Darren, um, and she always from the beginning said, Marie, you do great under Darren. There's just not something um, I, I ever considered, like being, well, of course, when I was studying, it wasn't possible, and it's also a big financial commitment you have to make, and then when she stopped, she still encouraged me to join a a squad. So there's a, quite a few squads, like Richard Murray is in one squad, Joel's squad, and then there's Darren's squad, and another, um, Gwen Jorgensen's training with a different squad. And she definitely encouraged me. And I knew Darren a bit, and I quite liked him because he's a bit quirky. Um, so, yeah, Kay definitely played a great role. And she was in Hamburg, and she will be in Rio. And that makes a massive difference, too, because she knows she knows Darren. She knows what I expect of the race. So it's great to have her there, someone that's been with him for four years. And just, like, with a warm-up, she knows what I need to do and everything. So, yeah, she's definitely played a great role. And, I mean, she also... Such a great inspiration, being the first African ever ranked top ten in the world um, when she was under Darren. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be amazing. I mean, this African uh, Olympic triathlon team is is definitely in with a shot. If you, you mentioned Richard, Richard Murray, unfortunately coming off a, a bit of an injury, but he's not showing signs of of, of slowing down. I mean, that uh, even though it was a serious injury, a collarbone, he's uh, he's, he's bounced back really well. Uh, there's a couple of, I mean, you look at a guy like Henry Skuman, but uh, it, it bodes well for South African triathlon. Really, the, the, the sort of foundation's been laid, and, and you guys are really putting in great performances. Yeah, I think it's great to see, like, Richard and Henry and... Katie a couple of years back and now me. It's great to see because there's no reason that we can't be up there with the rest of the world. Um, and it's great to see just, you know, the South Africans performing well. We've got some really talented juniors coming through. Um, there's one kid, Nick Quinette, who just raced in Europe now and got top 10s. Um, and I know Katie set up a junior squad in Pretoria and she's got some really talented girls. So hopefully this is like the beginning of a um, good streak of South African triathletes coming through and, you know, South Africa being one of the top triathlon countries in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Marie, best of luck. Uh, you must be super, super proud to, to be representing South Africa. We're all proud of you, and we're going to be uh, sending as many positive vibes as we can. Uh, I think the, the, the triathlon, both the men's and the ladies' triathlon at uh, this year's Games are going to be phenomenal. Best of luck, and uh, we'll be we're screaming as loud as we can all the way from South Africa. <laughs> thanks, Brad. Thanks, thanks so much for the chat. 
The SABC has signed a code of conduct that is enforced by the Broadcasting Complaints Commission of South Africa. Under the code, we are committed to giving news that is accurate, comment that's fair, and programming that is not harmful, does not amount to hate speech or violence or explicit sex. If you think we are not living up to that code, then you can inform the Broadcasting Complaints Commission of South Africa. Direct any complaints in writing to the BCCSA, PO Box 412-365, Craig Hall 2024. That's the BCCSA, PO Box 412-365, Craig Hall 2024. Send a fax to 011-326-3198 or an email to bccsa at nabsa.co.za. For more information, please visit bccsa.co.za. You start that. You're tuned to SAFM 104 to 107. You can also catch us on the DSTV audio bouquet on channel 814, as well as online at safm.co.za. SAFM Sports Wrap. You're listening to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader, and we are between football seasons, but uh, lots going on behind the scenes, uh, lots of transfer news, uh, clubs signing players, uh, preparing for the upcoming season. One of those clubs is Bloemfontein Celtic, and we join now by the coach, uh, Serami Litswak. Serami, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Coach, you guys have been pretty busy. You've signed a whole bunch of new players. Pretty exciting times at Bloom Celtic. I think eight players that you've added to your roster. Uh, I really had uh, to do that. Uh, if you look at uh, the performance of the team last year, I felt that uh, we did not have uh, a good balance in the team, and uh, I felt that uh, some of the players were supplied to demand and um, in terms of balance there were too many players in one position so I had to make sure that we have enough uh, players uh, in uh, specific positions so that we are able to compete so I think uh, I led about eight players to go or ten players to go and uh, we acquired uh, uh, eight players and uh, I am sure that uh, we have a team that is balanced we have a team uh, that will be able to compete uh, in the new season. It, it, it must be comforting to have a bit of depth, as, as you mentioned, uh, Lyle Kay. It's not, I mean, as, as great a player as he is, uh, if something touch wood should happen to him, it, it would leave you fairly vulnerable, but uh, you, you're in a much better position now. Uh, you know, Brian, last year when I looked at my bench during the game, I, I'm thinking, who will I put in? And uh, I say, I don't think uh, there is anybody who can bring a significant change uh, in our game. At one stage, I even had to put Musanyadama on the bench so that uh, uh, when you make changes, you have uh, a, a player who's got uh, a little bit of value to go onto the field, who the other team will be thinking about how do we stop this one. But uh, most of the time, we didn't have that depth, but uh, this year we have enough depth and uh, it's actually going to cause a headache for us as coaches to say, who do we play, who do we put on the bench, who do we put on the stand? How do you manage those players that are on the stand? How do you manage those that are on the bench as well? 
it's going to be a good headache for us this year. I was going to say it's a it's a good headache to have. Who do you who do you leave out? Uh, that that's what you want as a as a coach. Let's talk about this weekend. So you guys are going to be taking part in that uh, Utungulu Mayoral Cup uh, down in Richards Bay on the, the north coast of KwaZulu Natal up against Amazulu. First up, uh, good good sort of warm up training game ahead of the season to to test out some of these new signings. Yeah, definitely it will be uh, a good one for for for, for us. Uh, I think uh, this is the right time, uh, four weeks in the preseason, where you must start uh, playing friendly games to see if uh, uh, the players that uh, you have brought in are uh, gelling the way you want, so that you are also able to detect in which areas uh, must you correct. What are the things that you need to do as a coach? So. It gives us a good platform to be working and saying uh, we have a deficiency in this area. We still have challenges in this area. How can we as coaches improve in those areas? So that is what we're looking at. The friendly games are going to give us that. Yeah, I think it's uh, going to be fantastic. As far as uh, the, the off-season and, and pre-season preparation, uh, you, you comfortable that, that you're on track for, for a successful season uh, come 2016, 2017? What are some of the goals you're working towards for the new season? Uh, we are definitely uh, on track, like I said, with the team that uh, we we are having here. Uh, last year, we were the third best team in terms of our defense, and uh, we did not do so well in terms of the goals that we scored. So we considered uh, 26 goals, and uh, we scored uh, um, 30 goals. And uh, for you to get a significant position in the league. You need to have scored about over 45 goals and uh, you need to concede slightly under um, uh, 25 goals. So one of the targets is to make sure that uh, we improve on our record by making sure that we don't concede more than 25 goals and um, uh, we have to improve uh, um, our rate of scoring. And um, I think we will be in a, in a, in a good position. And um, we're looking to acquire 60 points. Uh, we don't know where the 60 points will give us. But if you look over the past four or five years, uh, I think it's only last year and this year where the record uh, went even to 71 and 65 the previous year. But if you're at 60 in the last three, four years, uh, you pretty much have the chance to, to win the championship. That is where we are aiming at to make sure that we get 60 points by the end of this year. Excellent stuff. Uh, Bloom Celtic coach, Sarami Lechwake, thank you so much for joining us here on SAFM Sports Chat this evening. Best of luck for this weekend, and we look forward to catching up again soon. Always a pleasure to talk to you, Brian. Thank you very much. SAFM Sports Wrap. That's it for SAFM Sports Wrap for this week. I'll be back again on Monday. Have yourself a superb sporting weekend. There is lots on. We'll have more sport for you tomorrow morning on AM Live. Don't forget SAFM Sports Special with John Carrick on Saturday and Sunday afternoon. We'll have an hour-long special uh, remembrance of uh, our friend and colleague, Gugu Zulu. Uh, that's uh, going to be this weekend as well. Coming up on the other side of 7 o'clock, it is the Friday edition. Thanks to my entire team in Joburg once again tonight. Uh, right now, though, it is 7 o'clock. And time for your news.